Mind and the Motorcycle, Monologues, Volume 7, Real News Plus One. I want to tell you a couple of things right up front. I have really, really thought about this whole podcast thing versus the writing that I do, you know, on my blog. And, you know, when you write, you have a, you know, I can write half of it, come back to it a day later, make some changes, sit on it, read it again, and then I put it out. In terms of how I feel about this podcast, I really want it to be raw, natural, the tape rolls, just like the tape rolls in our lives. We make mistakes, we come back, we correct ourselves. It's a way of being real, which also gets me, in a sense, to the name for what I want to do going forward, which is Real News Plus, which is just dealing with what's going on, commenting on it, and then moving along. And I was posting on Thursdays. We're now going to be posting on Friday. The reason for doing that is I really want to have the, the week to go through stories, call out the best ones, and then put them up on Friday so you can listen to what I have to say for the weekend. And today is, what the hell, today's November 4th, and I checked... And I don't even remember the last time. Maybe it was like 3.30 Hawaiian Standard Time. As of this time, we still don't have a president. The interesting thing is, when I really thought last week about why I wanted to start doing the news, it really related to the election. And I figured, man, how can I do anything at all with not commenting about the election results? And here I am. And we really don't have results. So it's kind of an interesting place to be, sort of in limbo. And, and this morning, I always look for musical cues. And this morning, I got two of them. One was listening to Leonard Cohen singing, Democracy is Coming to the USA. It's, it's a fabulous song. And it's not really optimistic. It's pretty realistic, filled with challenges. And then, God bless Dylan, I got to hear him sing, Blowing in the Wind. No answers. The answers are blowing in the wind. We're going to see what happens. And that's where we are, really, um, at this point. And the only thing I would say in terms of the election, that the real story is not about the possibility and the likelihood of Biden winning. The real story is Trump. The story is the extraordinary turnout that he got. We're talking like, oh man, I don't know if it's like 70 million. And, and I really thought about it. And I, and I thought about all the intelligent people, including myself, and excuse me for saying that, you know, who wrote about uh, why Trump is not going to win and because he did this wrong and he did that wrong and he's a liar and all of that. In the meanwhile, Pretty much half the country supports this guy, and I'm going to tell you why. He's the perfect maximum showman, and what he does, he does not appeal to your mind. He appeals to your gut. He's all about a visceral response. So you have people supporting him who are really bright, but they're one-issue people. It could be guns. It could be, I've had enough of covid 
It could be, it's about time we open the country. And it's absolutely extraordinary. And going forward, we're going to be dealing with this unbelievable schism in the country. It's going to be more, it's going to actually be more interesting than the last four years. Now I want to get into real news. And the first thing I really want to talk about um, is not what's going on here, but what's going on around the world in terms of how they're looking at this election. And this past Wednesday, the Asian stock markets, were they ran flat because they were awaiting the outcome. People in China marked the elections or mocked them as indications of the U.S. having serious problems. Russian media continuously harped on the idea that U.S. democracy is fraying. The front page of the French Daily Le Monde featured a headline, Trump, Biden, the United States is tearing itself apart. In Australia, a guy by the name of John Hewson said that the U.S. elections exposes a fiction of the, percent of the perception that America is the world's leading democracy. Now get this one. A Nigerian journalist by the name of Mary Ann Duke Okon tweeted that the U.S. media is sounding like they're reporting on Africa's elections. So quite a time. Uh, by the way, India and Israel are praying for a Trump victory. And uh, in Germany, their foreign minister said that, I hope for an outcome like we have learned from the Americans, that the rules of democracy are accepted by everyone. The, uh, uh, an outfit called the Organization for Security and Cooperation, there's a scary one, um, based out of Europe, sent ob observers to monitor our elections. And they came here on Tuesday, November 3rd. They have been kind of watching our elections since 2002. And pretty amazing. And um, in Germany, the Germans believe that, that Trump is kind of like a, this xenophobic authoritarian. The depiction, whether it's right or wrong, makes Germans worried that the U.S. has forgotten its respect for human rights and values. For post-war Germany, the United States was the savior, protector, and liberal democratic model. That was written by a New York Times columnist by the name of Roger Cohen. And now Germans are in shock, and they speak of the American catastrophe. And European attitudes toward America are shifting from envy to compassion. That was written by a dude named Simon Cooper of the Financial Times. And by the way, there will be a test when I'm finished. Trump symbolizes that there is a United States upon which we cannot rely. This was said by a European Union foreign policy chief. And what it should Joe Biden wins, there's an expectation around the world that we will rejoin the 2015 Paris Climate Accord and there will be a reversal of Trump's decision to leave the World Health Organization which was dumber than shit. And th those people ab abroad are really are hoping that we get back to free trade and not whacking countries um, with, you know, tariffs and so forth. And 
in, in uh, the Canadians are really troubled. And uh, the majority of Canadians support Biden. The same case uh, in Mexico. So um, let's see, some dude, oh yeah, a guy, a German foreign minister, Joschka Fischer, really, he said something quite interesting. Merely returning to the pre-Trump era isn't an option. Too much has changed. Kind of an interesting idea of, oh, let's get back to normal. We're not getting back to normal. Um, we will be dealing with kind of new normals. And um, German Chancellor uh, Angela Merkel said that the, the era in which we could fully rely on others is over. So what's really going on, in some ways thanks to Trump, we're no longer the game. Um, other countries are now taking responsibility for their own future, and, and they're not relying on us, which to me, I think, I think it's just incredible. And we can never forget uh, what's going on in China. And China is watching our election very closely. And I read really something you know, rather interesting, that um, since the 1990s, China has increased its military spending 800%, which is kind of like, whoa, man, that's really a trip. Um, Got to keep an eye on China. So uh, going forward, I I'm, I'm recently became a huge fan of the Pew, P-E-W, not like Pew, Research Center, uh, an extraordinary organization that has been around for decades. And you never kind of hear about them, that they're left or right, they're strictly interested in finding out what people's opinions are. And it, I just I read some really interesting things leading up to the elections. And it won't surprise you that they found that Trump and Biden supporters have incredibly deep disagreements. About three quarters of the voters who are registered to support Biden are confident that the country will know the winner of the presidential election after all the votes are counted, including 30% who are very confident. A much smaller majority of Trump supporters, 55%, are confident that Americans will have a clear sense of who won, with just 13% saying that they are very confident the winner will be clearly known after all the votes are counted. And going on with the Pew folks, about three-quarters of registered voters say the economy is a very important issue for their vote. 65% say health care. 63% say Supreme Court appointments. The coronavirus outbreak, 55% say it's very important. It's an amazing difference, however, between Trump supporters and Biden supporters. While while 84% of Trump supporters are more likely than Biden supporters to, create, to regard the economy as very important, Biden supporters say health care is very important, 82% to 44%. Now get this, this is mind-blowing. About 8 in 10 Biden supporters, 82%, say the coronavirus will be very important to their vote compared to just 24% of Trump supporters. 
And in a sense, there you have it. In the, in the campaigning, the Democrats focused very heavily on COVID. Um, and frankly, most of the Trump supporters really didn't give a shit. And this idea, and it went along for you know quite a while, and it was very interesting to get um, all of these Trump Republicans to start going uh, Democratic. And uh, what the hell is the name of the group? Um, oh, it's called the Lincoln Project. They spent millions and millions of dollars to get Republicans to switch and turn on um, Trump. And you know what? It didn't work. They are... They went totally with Trump. They wasted $67 million to try and convert Republicans to Trump. It was an absolute disaster. A little bit of a change of pace. Um, for those of you who are um, love your Pacalolo, um, interesting to know that voters in Oregon have approved two interesting measures. One is unbelievable, by the way, and it's kind of unprecedented in the, the history of U.S. drug policy. Measure 110, which passed with 58.8% positive votes, decriminalizes the possession of small amounts of all illegal drugs. That includes cocaine, heroin, oxycodone, methamphetamine, and LSD, and of course, pot. A second measure, get ready for this, that approved in the state creating a program for the therapeutic use of psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. So it ain't all bad news, folks. Some interesting stuff out of California. The, the state passed something called Proposition 24. It's a, a, a ballot measure that extends, uh, the, expands the state's existing privacy laws and it scales back the amount of data that big tech companies are allowed to collect. It's actually pretty remarkable. It, it will then hamstring Facebook and Google from you know, tracking uh, too much of our activity. It's, I think it's absolutely fabulous. And while it only applies to California, it will essentially apply to the entire U.S. because California has such a huge influence um, on the tech industry. So it, it's great. It, it makes it harder for companies like Facebook and Google to get into our lives. And I think, I personally think it's absolutely wonderful. And it will, it's also going to set tighter restrictions on how websites can track your data to sell that information to advertising partners. So, um, and that applies to Google and Facebook. Man, I'm all for it because um, our privacy um, has really and continues to be at risk, uh, you know, because of uh, the, the big tech companies. In addition, um, uh, Google and Facebook, and I, and I think uh, the Twitter guy, they had to go before Congress um, Let's see, it was, uh, oh, uh, this past Tuesday. And they were really taken to task uh, because one of the things that they're doing is that they're replacing local news outlets. And let me tell you, the local newspaper has been such an unbelievable source 
of the free flow of information into our communities. And these big companies are hijacking the local news. They're not paying a dime for it. And I'm really glad to see that um, some folks are shining a light on their practices. And, uh, well, frankly, um, other than the election, it was only uh, really a matter of time until I got to COVID. So here's some news uh, about COVID in our country. Uh, Johns Hopkins has, has been recording um, our COVID numbers really since the beginning. And they recorded 91,350 new COVID infections this past Tuesday. It marked the sing the, I'm sorry, the second highest single day figure to date. And the national caseload has absolutely ballooned. The seven-day average of daily new cases has recently surpassed 86,000. And um, let's see, Forbes, uh, Forbes uh, magazine reported that um, roughly half the U.S. is at a dangerous tipping point where the risk of transmission is high. It's really dangerous. And in addition, 1,130 Americans, Americans, our brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers and children, died from COVID on November 3rd. We're talking election day, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, you know, epi ep let's see, epidemiologists, say that quickly, have been sounding the alarm for over a week that COVID-19 is spreading very rapidly nationwide. So whatever you want to call it, the first surge, the second surge, we are finding ourselves in the middle of just a new surge. And I have more current information about the coronavirus. The, the U.S. just reported 600,000 coronavirus cases in the past week. Yes, you read that right. More than a half million. Numbers are exploding all across the world. In addition, COVID-19 deaths have spiked 43% in Europe week over week. And hospitals in places like Belgium and Switzerland are overflowing. And now I want to give you just a really quick rundown of what's going on with COVID in Europe because we don't really get to hear all that much about it. Um, Ireland recently became the first European country to reimpose a hard lockdown. Schools are open, but citizens are asked to stay within three miles of home and all non-essential retail is closed. Retail or restaurants are open only for takeout. In Paris and some of the other large cities in France, residents have to be indoors by 9 p.m. And you're talking about a place in the world where nightlife is crucial to their, uh, their, social, their social way of being. Germany announced what they're referring to as kind of lockdown light. They're shutting down leisure activities. Um, Italy, which has just been clobbered, uh, has put in place new nationwide restrictions. Everything closes at 6 p.m. And in London, uh, gatherings um, are, can only be indoors. And in the northern part of that country, there are way more restrictions on bars, restaurants, and shops. In the Netherlands, bars and restaurants are closed. 
Uh, an interesting kind of a story is the Czech Republic. When this, the virus initially hit, they got really good press. They put in a strict mask mandate, and they kept their numbers unbelievably low. Now, by early October, the authorities recorded the highest number in one week. This country of 10.6 million lost 700 people to COVID. The hospitalization shot up from a few hundred in September to an unbelievable 7,200 in the second half of October. So let me kind of give you a, like a broader uh, global perspective on what this is all about. And there was a recently published uh, United Nations report that was released uh, a week ago. And it, it kind of addressed the ability to avoid more public health crises like COVID-19. Scientists estimate that 1.7 million unknown viruses currently exist in mammals and birds. And that's up to 850,000 of them that could potentially infect humans. According to their report, land use change has been linked to the emergence of more than 30% of new diseases into human population since 1960. Land use change includes things like deforestation, human settlement, and wildlife habitat, the growth of crop and livestock production, and urbanization. I, you know, uh, our, our behavior globally is, is coming home to roost, and we really need to start thinking about it, and we have got to do something about it. Denial is just not the way to go. I have a little more kind of global news that I want to share with you. Um, this one involves Ethiopia. When the hell is the last time you even thought about Ethiopia? Um, Ethiopian authorities said on this past Monday that dozens of civilians were massacred a day earlier in the Aromia region of the country in what has been called a terror attack. Government officials blame the Aromo Liberation Army rebel group for the attack. They said the rebels targeted members of the ethnic Amhara group, killing more than 50 people and burning 120 homes. The Amhara are the second most populous ethnic group in Ethiopia after the Aromo. This stuff, man, I'm telling you, I, you know, I read the news on a regular basis, and I wish I could say there's something really unusual about it. Um, the, the level of, of violence um, in, in Africa, um, in the Middle East, in Eastern Europe is absolutely mind-blowing. And it kind of never makes the news because we in this country tend to be so terribly self-absorbed. Uh, a quick word um, about uh, some doings in Warsaw, Poland. Um, over this past weekend, um, 100,000 people protested um, against a high court verdict that banned abortions um, for, uh, for children, for uh, babies with fetal defects. They determined it was unconstitutional. But they said that abortions in cases of rape, incest, and those threatening a woman's life were okay. Um, 
You know, in our own country, um, I am sure we're going to face uh, continued threats to the woman's right to decide what is right for her body. And Warsaw is, is just an example of, of, of the possibilities. Frankly, the demonstrations, from what I can gather, made, uh, made the country very nervous. Okay, now uh, what I want to do uh, each time with uh, Real News Plus, I want to close off uh, with a poem. How do you like that? I tell you, I love poetry. As somebody who writes, it's amazing. When you write, you try and do all the work for the reader. When you write poetry, you really leave the work to them. I'm such a huge fan of poetry and wouldn't even dare to try and write it. So here's our poem. It's called Being But Men by Dylan Thomas. Being but men, we walked into the trees, afraid, letting our syllables be soft, for fear of waking the rooks, for fear of coming noiselessly into a world of wings and cries. If we were children, we might climb, catch the rooks sleeping, and break no twig. And, after the soft ascent, thrust out our heads above the branches to wonder at the unfailing stars, out of confusion as the way is, and the wonder that man knows, out of the chaos would come bliss. That, then, is loveliness, we said. Oh, my God, I'm going to cry. Children in wonder, watching the stars, is the aim and the end. Being but men, we walked into the trees. Uh, listen, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed Real News Plus. Uh, if I sounded overly preachy, I'll probably calm down over the next couple of weeks. And just so that you know... I just don't come here um, and sit at the mic with, at Foster's place and spout off a bunch of stuff. I, I assemble stories, and it really takes me a week. I walked in here with 20 pages of stories and really tried the best I could do to, to avoid reading because there is nothing worse than just reading a story. So it's heartfelt. It's how I feel about things. You can read my stories at mindandthemotorcycle.com. Until next week, same time, same station. Please feel free to get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. Larry at mindandthemotorcycle.com. Be strong.